good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, this morning, as I was traversing through purgatory on my, uh, my way up here, I have to drive up purgatory roads. It's kind of a joke. <laughs> really not. It's kind of a, it is kind of purgatory, especially with the deer being crazy. Word of advice, when you see a deer, don't dodge it. Just let it go to be with Jesus, okay? They need barbecue in heaven. Anyway, okay. Sorry. I, I want to be endearing today. I guess you can see the point of that, right? Okay, all right. But I want to make it my way up here this morning. I thought about how just how relationships make life rich and how I, I'm just so just honored and blessed to be your pastor here at Wimberley and just so how God has brought so many just wonderful things together. You know, uh, young people that I knew years ago, like, like Scott and, and John, uh, John playing the bass there from First Baptist Pasadena, who, who knew? Bless your heart, you have to put up with me again. It seemed like you could have gotten away from that. Uh, then, you know, of course, uh, then, of course, the Krugers over here, and my dear friends, I've uh, been friends with them for forever, I think. I think, yeah, pretty much forever. And uh, good, good to have them. And how, how you, the new folks, have just, just, you've become dear to me. And I just love being your pastor, and, and, and I'm just honored to be that. In fact, I am, I'm blessed by you guys in my life, and I, and I thank you for that. And then this morning, we're going to continue this series on Wimberley Strong. And really, it's relationships that make our life rich. It's the relationships that build our lives. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say to them, you are blessed to have me in your life. Okay, will you just turn to do that? Yeah. <laughs> So that, that feeds the narcissist in all of us, right? Yeah. Well, our history as a nation, as a people, has been founded on the fact that we are a people of courage. This nation was born in the fires of adversity where men and women bled the ground red to get away from the tyranny of King George and unfair taxation and the oppression of what we call continental religion. This nation was birthed on the backs of freedom, the backs of bravery, the backs of courage. Our great state, Texas. Now, I wasn't born a Texan, but by the grace of God, I get to live here. Hallelujah. Right? Yeah. How many, uh, how many native Texans do we have in the room? Raise your hand if you're native Texan. That's awesome. How many of you are glad to be a Texan? Raise your hand. Okay. The rest of you will pray for it. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, but going to the Alamo and, and telling the story, and I do this, I take leaders down there, corporate leaders and pastors, and we talk about the courage of these men with their faces fixed like flint, that they're going to face the bellicose dictator, Santa Ana. And it wasn't about, as some revisionist histories, historians have said, it was about slavery. It was about freedom. It wasn't about economic gain. It was about freedom, that men could control their destiny by the one who controls our destiny, almighty God, instead of a dictator. And they stood against that in spite of the odds, knowing they were going to die, they did it for the freedom of Texas, and we are the beneficiaries of that freedom uh, because these brave men stood their ground at the Alamo. And our nation is, the history of our nation is scattered with courage. People have stood against the odds. My father, part of the great generation, fought in World War II. He drove a six-by-six six truck onto the beach in Normandy on day two of the invasion. He, tells, he told that story. He said the guy driving the, the, the trooper boat didn't want to get too close. So he dropped the, dropped the gate way early, and Dad drove that truck off, and that truck began to sink. 
into the, uh, to the channel there. And then it wills finally hit when the water reached about his eye level in the truck. And he motored up. And in spite of the, uh, the odds, uh, I quoted John Wayne. Uh, Dan corrected this in the devotional we provided for you. I hope you're enjoying all the other curriculum we provided. It's all on the, on the internet, our website, our devotional that goes with this series, the small group, uh, the group life stuff that goes with the series. But uh, courage is fear that said its prayers. I give credit to John Wayne. He stole it from somebody else. So it's probably like Aristotle who said it first. So Dan, something like that. Or we could just say, you said it. And then I could quote, Dan said, courage is fear that said its prayers. And that's true. Where does this courage come from? What goes on in our hearts and lives that bring it to the forefront? 500 years ago, an insignificant priest in a nowhere place called Wittenberg nailed edicts to the door, to the cathedral door, against the tyranny of the organized church. Martin Luther had no idea that he was about to launch the Reformation. In fact, I would say Martin Luther during his lifetime really didn't know what he was doing other than the fact he encouraged, he was standing against what was wrong. Encouraged, he proclaimed, our faith should be solely built on faith, on grace, on scripture, on Jesus, on grace, and on for Christ's glory, the five solos of the Reformation. And he held to those things, and it took great courage. Less than 100 years before that, Martin Luther knew that John Huss was called before a, a, a group of a council of churches and they burned him at the stake. But when he was called before that same council, different folks, same intent, he said, knowing what could happen, I cannot recant, here I stand. Courage. Scripture is full of men and women who stood in face of just unbelievable odds with great courage. From Noah building a boat, God said, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And it began to rain. It had never rained before. When Noah was saying, oh, God's going to flood the world with rain, he didn't know. He said, excuse me, what's rain? What's rain? Of course, in November in South Texas, it doesn't need to rain. It's the dead gum humid. It could just not rain, right? Rain is in the air. You could actually hydrate yourself by just breathing today. Who needs bottled water? Uh, Moses, the courage to stand before Pharaoh. Let my people go. Where does that come from? Joseph, uh, being seduced by Potiphar's wife, resisting and, and having the courage to stand his ground with conviction. Where does that come from? That they would have this kind of courage. David going out to face Goliath, the giant from Gath. Esther. Being called before the, uh, going before the king to beg, that, to beg that her people may not be genocide, knowing that the king could show disfavor to her and have her killed. For such a time as this, she stood with great courage. Peter and John speaking before the high council. And before the high council, who had just crucified Jesus, said to, him, said to them, you choose, who should we obey, you or God? We can't stop telling people what we've seen and heard. Who should we obey? To the apostle Paul standing in the amphitheater in Caesarea. If you go with me to Israel, go with Terranine and Israel this next spring, you'll go to that same amphitheater. And, and we're in that amphitheater where Paul preached with courage about King Jesus and about salvation to a heathen group of folks, 
courage, courage to the final, probably the most courageous act of human history, King Jesus hanging on a cross. The Bible says he fixed his face like flint to the cross, knowing what he was about to face. Courage, conviction. Where does that come from? How do we garnish that? And we listened to the chief as he gave the testimony about the rescue during the flood and how the landscape of Wimberley was changed. But it wasn't just the landscape, the Blanco River. Uh, today, as we drove across the, the bridge at Highway 12, I'm reminded that every time I ride with some of you, you say, and the water was 10 feet over the bridge. I got it. You don't have to tell me anymore. I got it. But I looked down that Blanco River and I saw that ribbon of color and I could only imagine what it looked like before the flood. But listen to the chief talk about how this community came together to rescue in great courage. These men of the first response, men and women of the first response, sacrificed their very lives to save others. Where does that come from? How does that happen? Is it really fear that said its prayers? Or is it something greater, a cause that is greater, a God that is greater? Well, this morning, we're going to look at um, a passage of scripture in the book of Daniel, how three young men stood against the tyranny of the day and found courage. And I'm going to say up front, I'm preaching to myself today. Y'all just getting leftovers. But I think uh, there's enough to go around. Now, we had the, uh, the senior high at our house Friday night for a little get together. They ain't no leftovers from that. The locusts came in. They ate a whole crock pot of queso. Uh, there is some Frito pie left, so Caleb, we save that for you. Okay? All right, good deal. So let's jump into this and look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel 3 and find great courage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you will speak through me. They'll not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that leads us to know you and to live for you with great courage. Thank you that you are the God who loves us more than we can imagine. And I pray, Father, you just help me say the things that need to be said to these folks that are here today. Customize it for them. I trust you that you'll do that. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take, your, take, the, take the weekend with you notes that are in your, in your bulletin. Take those out and jot some things down. Also, remind you again of the devotional that goes along with this. You say, well, I don't have a copy of that. You can pick it up at our information center, or you can download it. It is online. You can get it in a digital form. And it's five days a week, so I'm giving you two days off. Uh, you can read through the thoughts and reflections that go with this sermon series. But here's the first thing I want you to hold on to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men in exiled from Judea into Babylon. Now, why do you call people, why do you call the people of Israel Jews? Here's why. Because they were from Judea. That's where they get the name Jews is from Judea. So these guys from Judea, now Jews living in Babylon, are brought in, they're trained, they're moving up the ranks, they created a lot of jealousy by the, the native Babylonians and the other people because the Babylonian culture would assimilate people in. What they said, the way we would keep them from revolting, we would make them Babylonian. And what really bothered them about the Jews, the Jews wouldn't assimilate. They would not assimilate. They would, they would not become Babylonians. They'd stay distinctly Jewish. So that created some problem. So let's listen to this. Crazy times fall call for crazy conviction. And King Nebuchadnezzar was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, y'all. 
He was crazy. I mean, capital C, crazy. Listen to what this crazy king did. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. This is Daniel chapter 3, by the way. It's uh, up on the screen, or you can look at your Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits in breadth. It's breadth six cubits. That's a big old statue. And he set up in the plain of Durin, the province of Babylon. The king Nebuchadnezzar then sent to gather the centraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, the officials, the province to come to the dedication of the image king Nebuchadnezzar, king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, hold on. Let me tell you what's going on here. Why does this crazy king build a statue? Well, first of all, he's crazy. And he was thinking he was God. And he would put himself, you know, elevated himself of wanting to be worshipped. Can you ever imagine any dictator that wants to be worshipped? I mean, goodness gracious, we live in tumultuous times today where we got political shenanigans and natural disasters and, and then we got people that want to be worshipped. What's up with this? Now, some theologians, this is kind of cool, that this happens right after Daniel interprets a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar where King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and Daniel says that dream and the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, it had four parts to it. Daniel described that and what would happen in the ages and he was talking about that Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom would fail. Nebuchadnezzar was so entitled and arrogant, he said, I'll build my own statue. And so he built his own statue. And he said, y'all come worship it. He's crazy. Isn't it amazing how we have to suffer from the craziness of our leaders? They're talking about Washington right now, y'all. The craziness that happens to be worshipped. The image Then the sin traps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they stood before the image and Nebuchadnezzar had set up and heard to proclamate and, and heard proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O people, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horns, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, really? You have to list out everybody and all the daggum band as well? Okay. When you hear the music, uh, every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image of King Nebuchadnezzar and set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast to a burning fire furnace. We're going to throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down. Is Nebuchadnezzar crazy or what? Is Gizzy crazy? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. All right, so, therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, bass guitar, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image made at King Nebuchadnezzar made. Now, what's going on here? Here's the thoughts I want you to gather from this passage. Like, okay, Scott, why did you read this? More often than not, your need for courage is going to be born out of the crazy actions of others. Now, there are things that have happened, like the flood was a natural disaster. And that caused people to rise up and respond with courageous, heroic deeds. But most of the stuff we face in life are not natural disasters. They're problems created by people. People create problems. We very well could be in a nuclear war with North Korea because their dictator is crazy. Crazy. 
And so we have to be careful. Do y'all, when you're dealing with crazy people, you need to be careful? Did you know that? And he's crazy. And so we say, okay, these actions of others. Now, here's what I've learned. I cause most of my problems. John Maxwell, the leadership guru, said this. If I could kick the person in the seat of the pants who caused me the most problems, I would not be able to sit down for a week. And it's true. You start pulling on the most of your conflict, most of your woes, it's usually self-generated or generated to others. Now, here are these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you'll hear about them in just a second. They found themselves in a foreign culture. And listen, if we cow down to our culture, we will not stand with our convictions. And that our culture could very well lead us astray and lead us to, to conform to culture instead of standing all for Christ and all for Jesus. And so as the horn, the pipe, the bagpipe, and all those other things played, there was a conviction of courage that was necessary or a cowing down to culture. And I wonder how many of us bow down to culture instead of stand for what's right and what's good and what's honorable. You see, in confrontation, when we are confronted with something, is often the call to garnish our courage and face things face to face. Most of us don't like conflict, do we? Most of us don't like drama, do we? We know people who like drama, don't we? Don't point at them right now or nudge them. There's always somebody with the drama stick in their hand. They love it. But listen, conflict can be a pathway to greater intimacy if we choose to work through the conflict appropriately. When I was in Canada, I was dealing with my board and uh, they were in the middle of something that I can't even remember what we were conflicted about, but they were fighting. And these godly men were just arguing. And I finally said, hey, 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 time out, time out, time out, time out. Pastor Scott needs to say something. So they calmed down, they looked at me, I said, listen, conflict could be a pathway to greater intimacy if we respond appropriately. And they kind of went, flip the conversation. And when I deal with conflict, this is a process I go through. Now listen, I think you want to write this down. I ask these questions. The first question I ask, did I cause the problem? Did I cause the problem? And if I did, I admit it. Eat crow while it's warm. Cold crow sticks in your throat. Guys, this works with your wife. And usually, you caused it. So many times, I look at Tara crying. I don't know why she's crying, but I know I caused it. And so I immediately start confessing. Sometimes I confess more than she wants. <laughs> then she's surprised by the confession. But I have to ask myself, did I cause it? The second question I have to ask myself is this. Am I doing something that appears like I caused it? Has it been my attitude or my tone of voice? Has it been my body language? Have I done something that looks like I'm guilty? If I've done, I've got to admit that and, and ask for forgiveness for that. The third question I ask, this is interesting, what's going on in their heart outside of me that's causing them to react that way? You know what I've discovered in church? Is that most of the time when people are critical or complaining in church has nothing to do with church, has something to do with what else is going on outside their lives or they're trying to create a smoke screen, a diversion so they won't see the truth of what's really happening. I want to ask you a question. 
What would Wimberley be like if First Baptist Church had a revival? I'm not talking about a days of preaching. You know, preacher blows in, blows up, and blows out. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about a real sin-erasing, devil-chasing, Holy Ghost revival. That we really came to Jesus, we really came together, and we really started to love people like Jesus. What would happen in this valley? And what's keeping us from it? You are. I am. It takes courage to confront your own deficiencies. I've seen it happen, y'all. I've seen revival break forth. Our church in Canada, we had a perpetual revival. We saw about 1,200 people a year come to Christ in Canada. In Victoria, Texas, we saw it, where literally thousands of people came to Christ and, and there was a revival. Don't you want to see that happen here in us, in our hearts? What's keeping it? You are. I am. Because it, it requires courage to stand on the convictions we have. And if you have convictions, you will be challenged. Encourage is your conviction on display. Your conviction on display. So these three men stood against the craziness. Let's read. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward. Chaldeans were the native people of the land. Remember, I, talked, they were, I taught you that they were jealous of the Jews. So they come up, and this is what they came forward, and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You know, we're going to build up your ego, you crazy maniac. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, wire, trigon, harp, bad guy, get every kind of music. Really? Shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning furnace, fire furnace. There are certain Jews who have you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Jealousy, 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 jealousy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. We're going to be a tattletale. And you know, you will be defined by your convictions. And when everyone bows down and you stand up, you're going to be pointed out. And it takes courage. Your character is fueled by your convictions and they're displayed by your actions. And that is courage. That is courage. And there are those of your life who are waiting for the opportunity to condemn you. But you can stand to be courageous when you know why you stand. And when adversity comes, will you have the courage to take a stand? When adversity comes, will it define you? You see, crazy convictions will bring about a crazy reaction that results in a courageous encounter. So let's, let's talk about that. Let me read more. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. King Nebuchadnezzar answered to them and said, Is it true? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you notice that the king knew who they were? Because they were in close proximity to the king. And the king felt betrayed by these guys. But he also liked these guys. So you listen to what he says. 
that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Duh. Now, if you're ready, would you hear the, the, the music to fall down and worship the image I've made? Well, well, good. But if you don't worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning furnace, fiery furnace. I'm giving you an out, guys. We're going to fire up the band again, and you got to bow down, and everything will be great. We're back to normal. Well, there was a problem. Problem was, these three guys were courageous. But if you don't worship, you shall maybe cast the fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is to be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What? What? You see, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had pre-decided who they were going to serve. They were convicted by their convictions that brought about a courageous response. They looked at the guy who was heating up the furnace and said, we ain't bowing down, dude. Ain't gonna happen. Now notice what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. This is, this is amazing. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Why? Because his entitlement and his arrogance and his narcissism was brought to light. Trust me, folks, when you stand on your conviction, you're going to raise the entitlement and the arrogance and, and the, uh, the, the just narcissistic behavior of people around you. Last week, I talked about entitlement, how entitlement is probably the nastiest demon, one of the nastiest demons in hell. And it's true. And do you know how you know you're entitled? How do you react when you don't get your way? And Nebuchadnezzar was fired up mad. Because these three, these Jewish guys said, we're not going to do this. Now, I don't know really what was going on in their hearts. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's, let's look at what happened. And he ordered, that's Nebuchadnezzar, ordered the furnace heated seven times more than was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning, fiery furnace. These three men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and the other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Crazy king was so mad, he fired it up where it's so hot, it killed the people throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. This guy had lost it. Lost it. You see, the decision to be courageous is always made in advance of the, necess the, ne the, necessitate, the necessity, I speak for a living, the, the, <laughs> the reason, <laughs> I feel like Elmer Fudd now, to be courageous, always made an advance. Now, I'll tell this story. I told the first service. I'll tell it to you guys. When I was a teenager, I made a decision that I wasn't going to do drugs at all. 
And it wasn't because, you know, the D.A.R.E. program, blah, 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 whatever. That was a personal conviction I had that I wasn't going. I had other things. I ain't going to talk about that. That's why I don't go to high school reunions. But, um, <laughs> but I decided I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So um, we were, we, I lived on the Gulf Coast of Florida. We went across the state to surf on the east coast of Florida because good waves over there. And we were standing at a great surf spot called Sebastian Inlet. We were watching the waves peel off and break. And two guys from Texas walked up. Dude, what's up? Dude, yeah, dude, what's up? And they pull out a joint and they start smoking it. And they hand it to my friend. He takes, he takes a puff and he hands me and goes, no, dude, I'm, I'm not doing that. I lost my friend that day. But I had a conviction in my heart. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to let somebody else's stupidity influence my life. Just not. I pre-decided. Did my mama have a part of it? Probably. Now, Scott, you know all them surfers are drug heads. And that's really not the case, but I had to choose. I had to make a decision before I had to make a decision. You know, whether you're a teenager, you haven't decided about stuff, pre-decide, or whether you're an adult, you have to decide, pre-decide, pre-decide. And I could talk about a lot of convictions we need to make about pre-decision. When, when Tara, I asked Tara to marry me, we pre-decided there were not going to be a divorce. We pre-decided. I think there's been contemplations of murder from time to time. <laughs> but we pre-decided. We decided to work through that. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying those of you that have suffered that, I'm not saying that, that I'm better than you. I'm not. I'm a dumpster fire, y'all. But God's good. But those pre-decisions, those convictions bring out the courage to respond in the fiery furnace of adversity. I'm not sure Shadrach and Meshach were all that courageous until the trumpet blew and they, here they stood. The plain of Durham, everybody was prostrate except for three Jewish guys standing there going, what's up? We are. That's what's up. We ain't gonna go down either. We're up. And end if he does not we will still not worship you. Your true character comes out under pressure. That's true. When you're squeezed, whatever's in you is going to come out of you. And here's, before I move on to the next thing I want to say to you is I want to say this because it's really important. Your community, your friends will influence your courage. The chief was talking about the rescue during the flood. Why were they so courageous? Because they were courageous in a team. They were a team. That's why you need a group. Uh, we have a group on Wednesday night. I love my group on Wednesday. We have the best group on Wednesday night ever. If you would like to be a part of our group on Wednesday night, we will consider interviewing you. We are awesome. <laughs> I love our group on Wednesday night. And the thing is, is our courage is built in the context of community. Think about it if we were to stand together. Uh, why do we do youth ministry? Why do we do that? Because we want our kids, our students, to have the courage to stand together. Why do we have Sean? Because we want a leader that brings courage to kids to stand together to live all for Jesus. Why do we do children's ministry? To keep them kids out of here. That is one reason. But to have Melinda's building courage in these kids in the context of community, we need each other. We are better together. 
by yourself, you become a target. But in community, you become a platoon. Mm. Courage will result in a testimony to our great God. Your response will bring God glory when your courage is found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, didn't we not cast these three men bound into the fire? They answered and they said to the king, true, O king, they had said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. I want to tell you something. When you go through the fire, Jesus is going with you. When you face the calamity of a broken relationship, Jesus is going with you. When you face the perils of a doctor's diagnosis, Jesus is going with you. When you're at the bitter end of a relationship mess, Jesus is going with you. You cannot outrun him. You cannot outsend him. You cannot run from his presence. Jesus is with you. He loves you. He will abide with you, and he will strengthen you, period period. And the fourth was like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. How did he know they were servants of the most high God? Because they were in relationship with him and Nebuchadnezzar knew whom they believed. Servants of the most high God, come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the centraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had no power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their head was not singed. Their cloaks were not burned, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Folks, you cannot barbecue in the backyard without smelling like smoke. And they had no smell of smoke upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any gods except their own God. I, therefore, and this is so classic narcissist. I mean, he watches God do a miracle, so he makes his own decree. Nebuchadnezzar was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You read the rest of Daniel, you'll see how crazy he was. And finally, God humbled him. Read later about how that happened. I therefore make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb for limb, and their houses laid in ruins. And there's no other God who's able to rescue us this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the prophets of Babylon. Really? Didn't you learn anything, king? The answer is no. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and I think we do as well, that our God is the God of deliverance. He's an amazing God who uses our deliverance to spread his fame, who buoys us with his courage that we might live all for him and that he will get the glory for this courageous act. Why did God rescue these men? He could allow them to burn up. He'd still gotten the glory because God wanted to send a message to you That's why. Over 4,000 years ago, God was thinking about you and you today. He said, some of you going through the fire. I'm with you. I'm not going to let you go. And I'm going to give you the courage to go on. I'm going to give you the courage to live your life. I'm going to give you the courage and the hope. 
Uh, this summer, Tara and I went to watch a movie called Dunkirk. Anybody else see that, that movie, few of you? Yeah, the reason I went to see it was because of my dad, my dad being a World War II vet, and I'd heard the story of the Battle of Dunkirk. What was not announced in the movie was kind of amazing because the history, history tells us this, that the British forces, the Allied forces, the French forces, had made a decision that they were not going to surrender to the Germans. And so they were retreating. Churchill knew if the Germans overran their army that pretty soon that they would invade England. He had to preserve his army, but he couldn't get enough people there to rescue them. So the volunteers, volunteers, British civilians took their boats across and rescued the soldiers off the beaches of Dunkirk. Huge, courageous act these men did. But what you don't know is this. The soldiers, the commander of the troops in Dunkirk, sent one message back to England, and it was this. And if he does not. That's all they sent. And if he does not. Quoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Spirit of God was moving so strong in England because of the great adversity of the war that it produced a national courage and it produced a national revival. A revival in such a fact that Winston Churchill would say, this will be our finest hour. We will not surrender. We will not give up. Because Winston Churchill knew that he was representing not just England, but the kingdom of God against the approaching evil of Nazi state. And if he does not, we will still not give in. The last conversation I had with my father-in-law as he died of cancer was that I would serve, I would go through cancer again to know Jesus like I know him now and if he does not. It's what gave my dad the courage that in the Belgium snow he knelt down and trusted Christ during that war and he lived his life with no fear, he said. Great courage. I've watched my dad wade into situations that would make most grown men's knees knock and he stood in courage. Where did he get that? Because he knew he said, all fear was gone. When I trusted Christ, all fear is gone. That is why on his deathbed, he said, it ain't nothing but a little dying. Courage comes from the courageous God. And he wants to fill your heart with it. He wants to fill your life with it. But you have to turn to him and trust him. You have to turn to him and surrendered him. What if this church all said, Jesus, we're yours? What if we lived with great courage? What if we lived in such a way that, that God would ask anything of He wanted of us and we would do it? I asked you this question several months ago What would you do for God if He knew that it was Him who asked? And so many of us said this in Navate. I'd do anything, but you don't. Would you be connected with Jesus Christ and with others? God's asked you to do it. Would you grow to be like Christ? God's asked you to do it. Would you be generous with your finances? God's asked you to do it. Will you serve God by serving others? God's asked you to do it. Will you contagiously share your hope 
in word and deed, God, God's asked you to do it. Would you honor God with your life? God's asked you to do it. Not long ago, I was flying from California and I got upgraded to first class. Papa likes first class a lot. It was hardly anybody on the plane. And, and so I, I sat down in my seat and there was a young lady sitting beside me. She was a, a stewardess, a, a flight attendant. And we had a conversation and you typically what ends the conversation with people on the airplane, when they ask me what I do for a living and I say, I'm a Baptist preacher, usually ends the conversation. All of a sudden they're sleepy or they're very interested in their book, but not her. We had a conversation and we started talking about the hope I found. The situations in her life and the hope I found. So usually what I say, okay, you're sitting by a preacher for two and a half hours. Anything you want to talk to a preacher about? And she might be her. She said she's going to start uh, watching us online, her and her grandma. And I, I thought that was, she might be watching right now. I don't know. But I had the courage to share my hope because my hope is found in Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about hope. How you can have hope that anchors your soul. I think you might want to be here. And I think you probably have some friends who are looking for hope. You might want to bring them with you because I think next week is going to be crazy good. Hadn't written it yet, but we'll see what God says. What would you do for God if you knew his ask? I found this prayer from John Wesley, and I want to read it to you. It's called the Wesleyan Prayer. Any of y'all grew up Methodist? A few hands? Yeah. Methodists are always polite. Yes, I'm a Methodist. Baptists are a little louder. They raise their hands. Pentecostals, they holler. So anyway... Some of y'all got that, right? Listen to what John Wesley wrote. I put it in modern language, not in his language. I am no longer mine, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing and put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposable. And now, glorious, blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And now the covenant, now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I want to invite you to pray that prayer with me. So we're going to scroll back to the top and we're just going to read it together. And I want it just to soak in to your heart and that we can make a decision of courage today. And that's the decision to surrender to our great courageous God. Let's read it together. I am no longer mine, but yours put me to what you will and rank me with whom you will put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And now the covenant made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Do you believe what you just prayed? That is a dangerous 
prayer. That is a prayer of courage. I choose to live all for Jesus. How about you?